My name is Sandra. We live in a hotel. But my little brother cries a lot. I think he wants to go home. When a child is born into homelessness, the damage caused could last a lifetime. But you can help. Please call Focus Ireland at 1850-204-205 and give whatever you can. Good afternoon and welcome to the Torishak Sunday special. This is uh, this is probably Martin. Um, fingers crossed. As long as nothing major happens, we want to take a couple of Sundays off. So it'd be nice if this is the last one. But somehow I think there's going to be something that happens during the week, and we'll be forced back to to, to the trough next week. Um, but before we start, folks, we just Martin is going to sing us out with how do you pronounce it? <laughs> Pawnees on Jellicoos. Yeah, and this is this is his party piece. So I'm I'm, I'm expecting big things. Uh, we have a packed show today. We have brilliant guests lined up uh we are joined by some of our regulars and favorites and again um it's been a it's been an interesting year that way but but these but we've made so many new friends through the tortoise shack and uh one of one one is joining us here now is emma d'souza emma thanks for talking to us again um it's been nearly two weeks since we spoke so it's it's nice it's nice it's nice to Touch base just before the Christmas. Shamim Malakmian is here, and everybody knows from Dublin Choir, regular contributor, Harry Evansonia. And again, Harry, I think that was the best pronunciation I've done of your name all year. Um, uh, it, there's been a few polls, so we might actually mention the polls. And the executive director with the ICCL, Liam Herrick, is here. Liam, thanks for talking to us. Um, here, Tony. I want to go straight to you, Liam, because we meant uh, in, over the context of the year. Um, we've seen so many things in terms of restrictions, um, lockdowns, whatever way you want to phrase it. And ICCL have obviously played a part in, in talking about how, I mean, I remember originally when one of the bills was being put through, you guys are fighting very strongly for a sunset clause and, and how these things would operate. Would you like to give me your overall view on how restrictions um, and how maybe I'm going to use the phrase and I don't expect you to pick up on it, but mission creep maybe comes into some of these things when it comes to uh, restrictions on civil liberties in the face of what is still a global pandemic? Yeah, I mean, the the thing about the sunset clause, Tony, that the the point from the this is going back to March 2020. was that at the start, the government was proposing that all the emergency powers under COVID, that they could just extend them themselves whenever they saw fit. And, and we pushed in the Oireachtas that there'd be a parliamentary oversight precaution put in, that basically they only have the emergency powers for a certain number of months and they need to go back to the dial to get them extended. Um, but now four extensions later, you know, and every time there's been an extension, the government haven't listened to any uh, interventions from the opposition. Um, and like this week, we had it again. They're extended now again to, to March with the possibility of June. And the opposition again, all of the opposition parties, um, made a simple request, which was that when the Minister for Health is making regulations about masks, COVID passes, restrictions on movement, any of these things, that he would have to lay the regulations before the Doyle and that they'd lapse if the Doyle didn't get a chance to debate them. You know, a very simple kind of uh, democratic oversight. And again, they knocked it back. And completely disingenuous stuff from government. And I mean, I, I did hear Catherine Connolly comment on something similar during the week about the fact that, you know, things are just going through after the, after being told we will have time to debate it. We will have some legis- legislative scrutiny. And it just, they went, oh, well, we don't have time. Rush for Christmas holidays. Let's move along. 
Yeah, and I mean, see, in March 2020, when this all started, the government was absolutely, you know, you know, right when they said we need to take emergency action. We don't have time for debates. That doesn't really stack up much in December 2021. Like, there's nothing new now. You know, it, it's just a, a further manifestation of the same problem. And, and I mean, I think th- that's kind of our key reflection at this stage is that it's how long things are going on and measures that might have been acceptable, you know, for two months or three months or six months. When you're talking about two years, they take on a very different nature. Like um, Eile Shohanan has a piece in the in the Sindo this morning um, about, you know, the demonization of the unvaccinated, you know, the the, the normalization of discrimination against some sections of society. So like ICCL, we're absolutely pro-vaccine. We're pro the public health effort. We promote the vaccine. We think people should have access to it and should take it. But, you know, this kind of discrimination against the unvaccinated and the very convenient argument from government to blame everything on the unvaccinated. No, I think there's two points to that, Liam. There's there's, there's no... Hi, folks, and happy Christmas or whatever you celebrate yourself. Um, hoping you are all safe and well. Uh, I am interrupting you here because I'm asking for your support, if possible. Uh, look, we just want you to go to Patreon, join us, become a member, um, throw us a couple of quid. It really keeps everything going. Bills to be paid, food to be on tables. And I know it's tough. I know it's hard out there. But at the same time, uh, these podcasts have thousands of listeners and very little in terms of actually people who put their hands in their pockets. And I think, you know, I get that the content is free, but just because it's free doesn't mean it doesn't have a value. A lot of work goes in and a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of research, a lot of opportunity costs. Trust me on that. I've lost out a lot. Um, But if you can, if you get something and if you uh, enjoy it, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It's, it's a five, I think it's five fifty a month or 60 quid for the year. And I, I think it's great value because there's tons of extras. There's lots of additional content and access to other, other events. Um, if you, if you enjoy what we do, please uh, show that in a monetary sense. And I hate to ask, but we do need to ask. So lastly, um, have a great one, stay safe, enjoy it. And um, we will be, keeping the content coming. Talk to you all soon. This is, some of this is just the consequences of people's choices, okay? That's, that's not necessarily discrimination. But what I would say is there's very, you're very, you're especially right when you mention the government's decision too often to say, oh, it's down to these unvaccinated people. I mean, we, we spoke to um, Graham Clifford during the week who, who was involved in, you know, doing COVID information for people who English isn't their first language. And, yeah. and we haven't made enough yeah. effort to reach a lot of these people. But it's easy then to say that they fall into this, you know, 6% of vaccine hesitant thing when we yeah. really haven't made the efforts. So, yeah, I agree with you. But I also think, you know, some people are making decisions based on um, information that we, we've, we've every right, like, and, and Harry and Shamim, and all, we'd, we'd, all, we'd all talk about pushing back against some of these narratives yeah, as well. Course. Well, I mean, the deflection from the government point, Tony, really is that, you know, there can be a choice for governments sometimes, whether they want to talk about what they've invested in testing, what they've invested in contact tracing, what they have done about filtration and all of these things, like things that are in the government's control, or look over here at the unvaccinated instead. So there's a political point to that. In terms of the unvaccinated, I mean, 
this is a big issue across Europe at the moment. Fintan O'Toole did a piece yesterday in the Irish Times where he said, we need to understand the unvaccinated. And then he goes on to say that they're all either conspiracy theorists, egoists, or fascists. You know, now we have 93% of people in the country have taken the vaccine on a voluntary basis. How much higher do we think we're going to get? There are some people out there that are hard to reach because they don't speak English, for example, as a first language. Um, We could do more to get to them. But I mean, over the longer term, What's it going to be like when all this is over? Well, and how yeah. much social division are we going to create here? And some of it for no good purpose. And, and I think that that's the concern. And with things th- like the vaccine pass. I mean, I'm not even sure at this stage what the vaccine cert system is meant to be achieving. You know, see, and I'm, I'm with you on that, Liam. I, I look to other jurisdictions and I see where they've reached out in different ways to try and get to the unvaccinated. They've offered rewards. They they've gone into the communities. They've they've. As it was explained to us during the week, if you're a migrant or an immigrant living in this country or a refugee living in this country, you're not necessarily watching Irish TV. You're watching your homeland's TV. And the message may not be the same and the narrative may not be the same. So how do you break into that? You know, I think it was very quick with the stick, I think is how I'd phrase it. They're very quick with the stick. And there are other ways to reach people. And I thought initially with the vaccine passport, I initially didn't think they'd do it. And then when they did it, I could see the reason, you know, I could see the rationale behind it. And as time goes on, I see less rationale for it. I mean, if it's spreading pretty much in all sectors, what is the point in it? Martin, the only only thing is, again, and I I don't I'd love any someone else if you want to come in, but just on that. It was okay, maybe as as you you pointed out, Liam, originally. But to say that we've made no progress on mitigation strategies, that we continue to ignore some of the things, some of the science now, you know, around how how we're how we're cleaning air and think, you know, you're seeing you're seeing schools, individual schools making steps and actually seeing that the impact that it's having, it's actually successful. Um, I don't know, Emma. Like you, you, you have to sit in the other. You have to sit in the north and watch um, uh, people have jokes about let the bodies pile high and Christmas parties on Zoom and um, parties in number ten where he didn't even know there was a party in his own house. Uh, and we're all supposed. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we're uh, maybe we're feeling a bit privileged here, to, giving out about ninety three percent people vaccinated. But nonetheless, civil liberties really really matter, and it's something that you talk about all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, look what you're saying there about Westminster. I mean, that's a whole other thing in itself, the chaos and and the hypocrisy. And I mean, I I could talk all day about how outrageous it's been over the last uh, two weeks, I suppose, with this latest scandal. But in terms of Northern Ireland specific, I mean, look, we're just talking there about vaccine passports. I do think there is a benefit to them. I think we saw that whenever the um, COVID certs were brought in in Northern Ireland, there was a significant uptake in vaccines whenever that was announced in one week alone we saw a big jump in people finally getting their shots because there has been I suppose a lower rate of vaccination in Northern Ireland so that's a positive thing that we witnessed here and I think also the you know COVID certs or vaccine passports um, can help I suppose make people feel more comfortable about spaces you know we in our family my husband is uh, is vulnerable so we haven't been going into restaurants etc 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 but we feel safer going into a restaurant or a bar where there is a requirement that those that are going in there have been vaccinated. Um, that creates an environment that's that's more welcoming for us. So I think there are a couple of benefits uh, to using the COVID certs and vaccine passports. And on the civil liberties stuff, I mean, look, legislation coming through Westminster at the moment is attacking civil liberties, not just in the pandemic, 
but across the board in terms of the right to protest, in terms of free speech, in terms of, uh, you know, asylum seekers and refugees, there is just an onslaught of attacks on civil liberties in the UK at the moment. I, I, I don't know. Harry, Shamim, have you got any thoughts on, on the... Um the, the, I'm going to say COVID versus civil liberties, but it's not. It's framing it wrong. And I'm sorry, Liam, that I framed it that way because I'm just trying, I'm struggling with the whole idea that we need. We've, we haven't seen the state step up and make the progress because when the emergency powers were needed, surely we should have seen some sort of um, reduction in the need for the emergency powers. Sorry, Harry, if you wanted to. Yeah, I, I think there's a, I, I think you know, Liam, Liam raised a valid point that there's, um, it's, it's a very one sided approach. To this and i think there's a problem with the way the government have gone about COVID is that they have made a series of decisions but they absolutely refuse to acknowledge when any of those have been wrong so when we see the issues with the filters in schools they've made the decision and they're going to stick with it when we see things like the vaccine passports i do agree there are some benefits to them but the whole way it's been done and the way the legislation has been pushed forward to these things they're not going to admit that they're wrong because they've taken the approach and they're going to stick with it we've seen this in the start with their fights with even with nefert at the start of the pandemic way back which feels like forever ago there's a refusal to say okay we've made a mistake and we need to reassess our approach we saw the reopening at christmas last year which was absolutely disastrous um so i think that to me is driving a lot of this is that there's a determination that that the outcome of this the government wants to say we were right in how we handled the pandemic and the problem is is that's leading to all of these ancillary problems because they're not acknowledging the flaws they're not acknowledging the problems their approach they're not acknowledging the need to change and be flexible and modify things they're just sort of barreling ahead of it and i think that's kind of leading to uh, sort of the civil liberties issues we're seeing because it's just not a factor because the decision has been made. The decision is the correct one. Therefore, we are going to go ahead with it. And I think that's been a really problematic way to approach it and has caused um, yeah, the fact that we have this level of these level of problems, the fact that we have a 93% vaccination rate in this country, which is fantastic, but we still need to have all these restrictions and we still need to have all these things going on around it, um, indicates that there has been a failure of the state level approach um, to how we're dealing with it. Shmeem, what do you think? Uh, I think I think I agree with most of the stuff that Harry said in terms of um, in terms of governments had to take on measures that they simply didn't. For example, ventilation is a big one that they refuse to to implement. And then when they, you don't do that, it's kind of easy to say it's all the unvaccinated's fault. But but we have a, a huge number of vaccinated, so I think the government needs to kind of take uh, some sort of responsibility and say, yeah, we didn't take on um, the measures that we had to. It's not all the unvaccinated fault. But I think it's kind of, um, but, but I agree with Tony in terms of that. I don't necessarily think it's discrimination because, um, because it's a public health issue, you know. Yeah, and, and uh, no, can I go to Liam on this? Because it, it is a public health issue, but also there's... Um... You know, there's been bad messaging and it's been politicized to the point where, you know, people can see with their own eyes that the the our, our leaders went off and had a jolly holiday um, in, in the Marion. And then they said, well, well the, it turns out the attorney general says it was OK. Um, yeah. And some of the things like that have come out and they've just given sucker to people who, who choose to to play on those um, fears and, and concerns about it, Liam. And it makes your job a lot more difficult because you, you're doing this from a human rights perspective. I think some of the people are, are, are weaponizing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I want to be fair and because we're coming to Christmas, Tony, I want to be positive as well. I mean, when, when Emma talks about what's happening in the UK at the moment, I think there you have a malign government that is trying to exploit the crisis 
to advance its own political agenda, you know, and some of the stuff that's been done in the UK about attacks and civil liberties and the right to protest and stuff is opportunistic and deeply cynical. I don't think that's what we have here, but I do think that we have, you know, uh, failures of communication at times and like trying to be positive about this, like working together, we've seen incredible solidarity in Ireland over the last two years. The vaccine take-up rate is one example, you know, um, there's been a huge sense of people trying to help each other. A lot of stuff happening at the community level that's been really, really positive. And that's why I think it's disappointing when the government, you know, tries to be divisive. Like, for example, on the masks in school issue, a really simple issue where it was a sensible thing to require masks in primary schools. It was unfortunate that in announcing it, the Department of Education started talking about excluding children who don't wear masks. Do you know what I mean? It was just unnecessary. Um, so... Everybody's tired at this stage, including the government and the civil servants. People are making silly mistakes that they weren't making maybe a year ago in terms of the messaging. I agree with what Harry's saying. Sometimes it's disappointing that when, you know, predictably government gets things wrong because it's unexpected, that they don't admit that they've got it wrong. Uh, and I think a little bit more generosity of spirit in terms of how the government communicates to the public and maybe about how the public kind of you know, trust the government a little bit too would help us all. But but I, I am worried that some of the stuff around vaccines at the moment is almost punishing the unvaccinated for the sake of it. Like, you know, we're, we're not trying to encourage, I don't know how much more encouragement we can do in terms of the vaccination rate. If you're at 93%, you're doing as well as anybody could possibly do. I don't think vaccine certs make nightclubs safe because it's pretty clear that they don't. So at that stage, you know, why are we doing this other than to kind of, kick people, do you know what I mean? And well, I, I think it's also worth mentioning, Orla Hegarty has pointed out that we wouldn't have to discuss vaccine passports if we took care of buildings, if we did what we need to do on ventilation on buildings. And I also think that there is um, a, a reluctance to discuss things like passports in, in a sane way, because as always, it's been co-opted by the the for want of a better word, the crazies who are using it as a weapon saying you are pro-passport. And it's way more nuanced than that. None of us are pro-medical passports. We are looking at a balance. I, I'm, not even, I'm not even pro. I'm not even pro-real passports. I was all for freedom of movement. I genuinely. We're, we're looking for a balance to reach. And we're yeah. trying to, that's to the put point, in a balance. Like, like, th th that's the point. Where are we going in terms of if you raise any question about vaccine mandates, like mandatory vaccination in some country, in Australia now, if you're against mandatory vaccination, you're being talked by the government as if you're an anti-vaxxer. And similarly here, if you raise questions about things like vaccine passports or whatever else, you're being labelled as an anti-vaxxer. So on both sides, there's this polarisation which is really toxic and dangerous. I, I think I actually think that's at the fringes, though. I think, look, we're having this conversation now, and no one in their right minds would consider uh, you to be anti-vax, Liam. Like we know, you're a defender of, of civil liberties and human rights. I just think there are there's the fringe elements. Unfortunately, it's much more. It's much easier to get them onto the airwaves and into other things, yeah. and and it and it makes better sound bites. And unfortunately, that's where where we we fall down. I, we've gone a lot over time on that. We will come back to other parts of it. I do want to. We. Will and there's loads of brilliant comments in there 
But I want to come to Shamim because it actually follows Shamim. You've been covering some of the difficulties again. Um, Shamim does brilliant work for the Dublin Choir covering mainly um, immigrants and, and the migrant issues and, and how difficult it is. We've, we've covered human trafficking. But one of the other things is the problems with the, with the different types of stamps, uh, st- the stamp for the Garda, the Garda and, and people trying to get jobs at the moment and how things are, are working. And I want to put that in context. Shamim, I don't know if you were aware, but Ireland now has more people at work than they would have then they projected if COVID hadn't happened. Okay. So let's not pretend that uh, unemployment is a huge issue here. It's actually, it's actually doing quite well in terms of where we were projected, even, even given the, the, the troubles we've had. Sorry, Shamim. Yeah. For, especially for context, I just want to um, kind of give you a context of what these stamps are. So stamp four is the, is the kind of green card in Ireland, basically. Right. So if you have a stamp for, you can work here, you can do freelance work here, and uh, you can live here basically. But there, there are different stamps that have that have full working rights, just like the stamp for, but they have names like stamp 1G. And then a stamp 1G is basically a stamp that's given to the spouse of a skilled worker. So, and this person has full working rights, but at the same time, a stamp 1G is also the name of a stamp that a graduate. Um, person who graduated from an Irish university gets that has two years to work in Ireland, you know, and if, if they found a job, great. If they didn't, they have to leave. So it's a very shaky status and most employers aren't, aren't really interested in it. And usually, well, they they, they offer you contract, contract work, but they wouldn't get you a work permit on it. So when, if I'm the spouse of the skilled worker on a stamp 1G, when I say I have a stamp 1G in my application, work application, the employer just going to assume that I'm, I'm a fresh graduate, you know, it's very confusing. And then the, the other issue is the stamp one. So basically, there were Venezuelan students who came here before the political situation worsened in Venezuela, and they were living, they were studying here. But when they finished their studies, they couldn't really go back because of the political situation. So the Department of Justice, they gave them stamp one. like, And the stamp one is is the kind of a stamp that you get when you first go on a work permit. Mm. So if I tell an employer I have a stamp one, the employer is going to immediately think, oh, okay, stamp one is the one where, you, where you're leaving your job and I need to get you another work permit. But the stamp one that these people are on has full working rights. You, you, you know what so, I'm saying? So it's, so it's basically, we, we're again, <laughs> we're coming back to communication problems. And unfortunately, uh, if it wasn't for people like you doing the work, no one would give a shit because this is a migrant population. And we seem to, we seem to look the other way and just say, well, look, they can sort it out. I mean, but how, how do we actually... You know, how do we kick some tires on this and and get get because I know you you were you were worried about people traveling um to to for interviews and things like that and to finding out that they've wasted their time because the employer didn't understand the stamp system. They just don't understand because when when you have similar you have stamps that have similar names with shaky stamps that but they have full working rights. It's very confusing for employers, you know? And um, some employers just agree stamp 1G and stamp 4. They just know these two stamps. And actually, I, as I was doing my story, I, I looked at a job ad from Accenture and they had uh, um, a- apply only EU citizen, stamp 1G, stamp 4, no sponsorship. I'm not sure you can even you're allowed to say this. L- like, Liam, Liam, how does that sound to you? Like, 
you're on Mike, the uh, I mean, it's it's interesting because the, there's a review of the equality legislation coming up at the moment, and the question about grounds of discrimination is going to be key to it. But that that would clearly seem to be a discrimination on the basis of of nationality and citizenship status, and I think they'd have difficulties in justifying that. You know, it'd be an interesting challenge. Yeah, I, like sure. I mean, you got no sorry. I, I, even Emma, you you've spent years fighting uh, for your for your right to be an Irish citizen, and uh, and you know, I mean, you hear what Shamim is saying. That must be anthema to to your understanding of 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 uh, how people should be treated. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, when it comes to issues around immigration and citizenship and naturalization and all these processes, I mean. Uh, be it the UK or be it Ireland, these uh, systems are bureaucratic, onerous, and uh, you know are not conducive to uh, to compliant human rights in many instances, and are quite confusing for people to navigate. You know, like even the process of naturalisation as an Irish citizen, which we went through for Jake recently, is a really complex form that requires a lot of paperwork, and they just make these things so complicated for ordinary people to navigate the systems so yeah i have a lot of frustration around the immigration systems uh north and south Shemim, can i ask because it seems very complicated is there entitlements attached different entitlements attached to each stamp is that why the system exists in the first place yeah, exactly. Each stamp comes with different rates, but the problem is some of these stamps have full working rates. You can do freelance on it, you can be employed without a need for employment permits, but they still share a name with a shaky status that needs work permits, you know. But the the, the, the difference, the main difference is when it comes to, for example, family reunification is the stamp four that has the explicit right in the legislation to family reunification. So I could see maybe the Department of Justice thinks because that there's a difference there, um, we're going to give it this, a different name. But I could, but they could easily kind of give it but, like a stamp for A, a stamp for but, B. But you mean, which mean we know, having spoken to Fiona Finn and Nask several times mm-hmm. in, the, in, in the last 12 months about how difficult they've made family reunification, even more difficult over the last 24 months, unfortunately. Ireland's mm-hmm. rate of reunification has gotten lower and lower where to be to the point where it's now a fraction of what it was and the right to the right to that is just the fact that they, we, we don't deny people the right we just make it very bloody difficult to access which is the same thing Liam you know it's if you if you yeah. can't access a right you don't have it yeah I mean and, and th- there's been a couple of really significant developments I suppose in the last couple of weeks I mean on the positive side obviously the regularization of the undocumented um which was really led by migrant organizations here over a number of years has been a big step forward. But on the negative side, and Emma will be familiar with this, I mean, the British uh, proposal on the Nationality and Borders Bill at the moment, and this hasn't got much coverage here yet, but this will have the effect of EU citizens and other people with what Shamim has talked about, legal basis for being in this jurisdiction, are going to have great difficulties in traveling to Northern Ireland. um, And they'll be subject to criminal um, enforcement if they don't have uh, prior uh, authorization to be in the North. Um, and, you know, the, the Irish government, I think, has been a bit blasé about this up to now. Um, but I think it's, you know, we, we have several hundred thousand people legally living in this jurisdiction that are either EU citizens or have legal basis to be here on various visa grounds. And they are now going to be subject to effectively a legal hard border with the north. Um, and like if you're on a if you're in a border county, you know, 
this it's not a discretionary thing to travel to the north. It's what you do for work or school. I, 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 Ireland calling Ireland calling for mana for mana. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that brings um, us very yeah. neatly onto you, Emma, and it does bring us very neatly onto you. And there has been a, a, another poll, I think, the Unity poll. Oh yeah, Emma. Did what? What can? Or before we go there, I'd like to get your comment on what what Liam has just said about the freedom of movement between the two, because this is something you have fought for 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 the longest time. It's it's what brought you to national attention, to be honest. Yeah, and um, but when you think of that now, what what they're trying to regularize and saying people will just get used to it, I don't believe that's the case at all. Yeah, look, you know, um, the thing around the ETA system uh, comes to no surprise to many uh, within um, civic society uh, across the island, because anyone that follows the home office policies and like the white paper last year would see that this was coming down the road. You know, like Stephen Farry has been tabling questions about this since like last April. Um, And actually my first ever article for the Irish Times that was not about her case was about the ETA system that was coming and that was last August. So we've known that this was coming down the road. We've, we've, you know, the Home Office has been scrutinized and has been asked about how on earth are you going to operate this system on the island of Ireland? It's not going to be workable in terms of, you know, under uh, Irish law, EU citizens cannot have their uh, documents checked in terms of identification on the border. So there's a lot of issues around how exactly that's going to operate. And as Liam was saying, people cross the border every day for for work, for education, even to get their groceries. I mean, some people cross the border in their backyard. So it is completely unworkable in terms of how it will operate in the island of Ireland. Now, the Irish government has said that they're going to, you know, take this up with the Home Office. And it's great to see them finally taking an interest, even though they could have done that like a year ago. Um, But in terms of how they're actually going to address this, because this is a UK policy, you know, and we see this uh, being applied in terms of the common travel area, where the common travel area is being firmed up to be uh, relating to just Irish and British citizens, which is then creating this um, open discrimination to those who fall outside of those categories and would also inevitably lead to racial discrimination on the border as well. Um, it kind of brings a lot of other issues into the fore in terms of the Irish government's um, interaction with UK immigration policies. It is quite an ad hoc relationship. It doesn't have much scrutiny. You know, for example, there are people that are denied entry in Dublin on the basis of UK immigration. Uh, you know, so it would be great to see a little bit more scrutiny about how Ireland is operating well, in uh, terms you, of UK did, did immigration you, policies. Did you see um, Colin Harvey, Professor Colin Harvey's point uh, where he said uh, we're at the stage whereby and I think he was referring particularly to this administration in Downing Street, where they might just go, oh, let them have a border poll and the Irish government won't be ready for it because they're like they they they're nearly at that stage. And and actually, Harry, I'm interested to get your take on this. Um, and and of course, back to you, Emma, on it. But the but the poll that came out on, you know, in terms of Irish unity, it showed a huge, overwhelming support for the the unification of Ireland. Um, but it was also then caveated, like, you know, it was, as I tongue-in-cheek phrased it, do you like do you like chicken curry? Yes. Would you like United Ireland? Yes. But you can't have both. Because um, there was a lot of, it was phrased in that way, Harry, as, as, a, as a pollster. You, uh, you must have looked at it and went, uh, and went, okay, what is the data telling me more so than just the... Um, you know, or will you, you, you'd like a United Ireland, but you don't want to pay more taxes. No one ever wants to pay more taxes, Harry. Yeah, I think that was, that was a weird one. But I, I, 
I think um, we've seen that with a few uh, with a few things from Ipsos uh, uh, from Irish Times Commission polls over this year, where they've phrased questions in a very strange way. There are some really interesting things, from, like obviously the overwhelming support um, in principle is probably the, the main headline thing. But when you go into that, there's some interesting stuff, like just for example, this amused me is that 22% of Sinn Féin voters would vote in favour of United Ireland, which is <laughs> a little hard for me to wrap my head around. But um, some of it, some of it is is weird like you say and things about like taxing taxes flags national anthems stuff like that like i do wonder how realistic people's expectations are for what a united ireland will look like stuff like that is fine and good and those discussions can happen but when you see something like 42 percent of people saying they wouldn't accept having unionist politicians in dublin which is something that is like a political inevitability uh, under united ireland unless you have some kind of federated devolved um system in, in in the north which i don't which I, I don't think anyone has really planned for um you do wonder like we have this conversation we as a, as a nation are in favor of this we you know, believe in the principle the numbers support that but i feel that there has, hasn't been a co- any conversation in this country really about what that looks like and what a united ireland looks like and what a united ireland means other than just erasing a border on a map and changing the ownership of the of the land as it were um and I think those those questions, while they are slightly you know, problematic, and oh, which, do you want to pay more taxes? Okay, that is going to lead to a certain answer. But I think it's quite revealing that people are generally quite negative about any of the potential outcomes that might change something um, for for the for the for the republic. And yeah, so we're talking now, now. We're talking flags and and anthems and these things that apparently are divisive. I. I didn't think they are. I, 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 but it goes back to Emma's point that she keeps pushing for. If we had an an, an All Ireland Assembly or a Citizens Assembly, we can talk these things through and maybe remove that fear factor. It would be my 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 thought process on it. Emma, am I am I am I mad thinking that people actually will come to solutions if they're given the opportunity? Uh, yeah, no, I think they would. Um, and I think that you know what Harry is talking about there is that there hasn't been uh, really uh, the kind of engagement with this conversation that is needed uh, in terms of wider society level. And that's why an all-island citizens assembly is so necessary, but also more spaces that are bringing people together to have dialogue on these things. Because, you know, when you see things like the, uh, you know, such strong opposition to changing the flag, um, I think that maybe if there is a space where people can have a conversation over why that might be a good idea, you know, like, the historical reasons why it might be good to change the flag, how if you're creating a new country with a new constitution, it's not a case of the Republic just subsuming Northern Ireland, and you take into account the the history of flags in this place and you understand it a little bit better, then it might not necessarily feel like you're giving something up. You know, if you understand more, then it feels a lot less like compromise and more like perhaps just the right thing to do. So I think that perhaps there just needs to be more spaces created where people can have these conversations and understand each other a little bit better because that's what we're missing here. I talk about this quite a bit, but there really is a disconnect north and south in terms of understanding what Northern Ireland is today and understanding the historical significance of a lot of these issues uh, for the people can, of this island. Can I plug the guys again? I know I shouldn't, but you know, her loyal voice, all these things on Twitter, follow them. Get 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 an appreciation yeah. for what's going in, what's happening in, in, in unionism and in loyalist communities, because <laughs> guess what? They're having conversations that uh, our, our government haven't been having, and they're having they're having them amongst themselves, and they're they are these things are happening now. So just 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 you know, broaden your own um, perspectives as well, folks. Sorry, Martin. Yeah, Harry, I'm going to jump in straight with flags to you again. And a white flag of surrender. The public has fallen out of love with Leo Varadkar. That's what the poll shows. So uh, 
help us out here, Harry. Well, uh, firstly, I want to give credit to you. I think of my very first appearance on the on the uh, on the Tortoise Shack. You uh, were the first person I heard to predict that Finna Fall would end up ahead of Finna Gale. Um, so well, done. You're, you're had, he's so yeah. happy now. I'm editing this out before it goes. Out. Ah, here now, let him have his moment. No, genuinely. Um, and that this is the first time we've we've yeah. seen that. We had three polls. One was Finna Fall slightly behind. One was Finna Fall slightly ahead. One with them. Um, tied um, we don't have the full breakdown from all of those polls um at this point only one of it's them. better um, the devil you know that's what that is harry that's I better the devil you know i think there's an element of that but i think it's finnegale have been so I, I think something they've been doing that's sort of backfired is they've been so clearly the power behind the curtain like Vragker undermining the government the whole way through COVID, um, all of their sort of inner fighting with him and Simon Harris and Simon Coveney, all that sort of being so public, them being ultimately the faces of things like the Marion uh, the Marion Hotel debacle, um, has ultimately come back to bite them. Because what they were doing for a while was they were kind of hiding behind Finnefall and letting Michal Martin take all the flack. But as they've continued to push themselves as being trying to take credit for more and more of what the government is doing and then try and cast themselves as an opposition within government, that kind of backfires when you get into times of crisis. People don't like the idea of a disunited, disjointed government. And to me, I think that's what's really impacting Fine Gael. And as much as, you know, all of the headlines and obviously, you know, the Irish Times writers having their freak out over this about how the middle class have gone over to Sinn Féin. But Sinn Féin's numbers are, are up. Sinn Féin are doing well. But Fine Gael's numbers being down are down by a much bigger amount this year. Yeah. They've been continually on the slide throughout the year. Um, and they are going to you know, from what we're seeing at the moment, they are going to end up behind Finna Fall. And that's a much, much bigger story. It's not about how people are being necessarily won over to one thing or another. It's Fine Gael are losing voice. They're losing the middle classes. The breakdown from the Ipsos poll shows that. They're not even ahead among AB category. Like, yeah, and, 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 that, and that is their, and that is their bread and butter. The, the ABC1 category was, was, was always their bread and butter. That was, myself and Matt would fight about this. And I'd say, well, look, 23% of people will vote for them anyway, because that's where they're, economic interests lie but they're actually losing that argument as well now harry yeah they are um and i think if everyone except um i think the over 65s and farmers and farmers are actually quite difficult to poll um because they end up they generally pollsters only capture a very very small sample size so those numbers tend to be quite unreliable you're seeing Sinn Féin ahead in every single group you're seeing Fine Gael falling behind Fine Fall in a number of those um it's really like if i'm finna gale it's it's worrying you know like this is the opposite of what I, needs I, to happen and we're just about to, we're coming up we've got one year until the that's right, changeover the happens and yeah. then finna gale are in charge and if they come into that given these patterns they're going to come into this behind finna fall they're going to be extremely unpopular already taking over a government that's going to be really difficult for them to pull off and i I do wonder what this is going to go. I think this can go one of two ways. Either you're going to see this desperate, what we're seeing at the moment, which is a continual desire to just cling on, or at a certain point, you now are in a situation where we were talking, you know, a year ago about, oh, Finna, Finna Gale might look for an opportunity to pull the plug. Yeah. If this keeps swinging, Finna Fall might be the ones who say, well, hang on a minute. We can, we can, we can make a better arrangement than what we've got at the moment. We're, we're going we to eat, want to be part of this. We're going to eat their lunch. Um, I, anybody else got any comments yeah, on that? I, I yeah. Just Liam, want... Liam, sorry. And, and Liam and Emma, if you don't mind, Martin. Yeah, I mean, I think it links back to the previous topic as well. You know, where Sinn Féin are in the polls at the moment um, is, you know, clearly indicative that there's a very good chance they're going to lead the next government. And there's very little analysis of how significant a political change that's going to be here for all sorts of reasons, not least about what that will mean in terms of the question of the border poll, you know, um, which is obviously their clear objective. Uh, and I, I think we are still trapped in a way of thinking that there's a ceiling to how far Sinn Féin support can go up. 
and there's a floor below which Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil support can, can fall. I don't think there's any natural law of physics with either of those two things. Um, and, and I mean, the examiner did a really interesting piece last week, which was analysing Sinn Féin's policy areas, you know? Um, like, we need to start having that conversation, I think, about what the changes could be, because the changes are so significant, they won't be easy, whatever I, 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 whatever I, I, your political preferences are, they're going to be Mark. pretty seismic. I, I, Mark, let's let's let Emma comment as well, and then you can come in with your hot take and and, and steal steal the show. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, just to echo there what Liam is saying in terms of um, Sinn Fein support. You know, I, I think that uh, analysis also is lacking a little bit in determining um, how much of that support is based around the possibility of a border poll or United Ireland. If you look at some of the questions around that, you do see a big shift in um, young people, especially moving to Sinn Féin and also being overwhelmingly in uh, support of a United Ireland. And I think as those conversations continue to grow uh, and the trajectory continues to go towards the possibility of a poll at some point, that is really going to be a factor that will increase Sinn Féin support. But um, on like, a, I suppose, the other parties and what might happen over the next coming years, I think we're actually probably going to see new leaders um, in the parties. So I, I would predict maybe Helen McAtee for the uh, Fine Gael. Um, and I think all the parties will shift their, well, their over leadership. Over Pascal's dead body, let me just tell you. Over no, Pascal's I think they will no all shift body. their leadership to try and try and uh, go up against Sinn Féin in the next in the next election. I don't I, think we'll be seeing Michael I, Martin I, and possibly I, the overactive. I'd say that's really a good bet because you're going to they will want. I remember meeting a Fine Gael MEP in uh, in a hotel in Dublin who told me when the, when the leadership contest was struck. That it was always before it was struck with Enda Kenny's time was ticking down, that it would be Leo Varadkar. And again, as cynical as it, as it was, he said to me it was because he looks good on a poster. Now, uh, can I just, could just say, Harry, 100% right. It's Fianna Fall who are going to pull the plug on this government. As soon as they see the statistical advantage in doing it, they will do it. And they'll have great glee in doing it. They've wanted to stick the boot in for a long time. There's a lot of unhappiness in there. Liam is also right that nobody has put their head together and said, this is actually a change of power from one system to another. This is not like any other election we've ever had, and it won't be. And thirdly, watch the way uh, Fine Gael constantly make Sinn Féin their opposition, when in reality, their opposition is now the fight to be the leaders in opposition against Fianna Fáil. They've already lost the battle, but they're still trying to fight that battle but it's over. It's done. I mean, Martin, there's also, you know, there's the future in terms of a border poll. There's things like housing and health, which are really what has, I think, driven the shift in the last couple of years. But there's also the uncomfortable question about the past. And, you know, this is going to be one of the things, I think, for, for society here to really grapple with. There are unresolved issues about Sinn Féin in the past, which are still very, very challenging for a lot of people here. And that's why it was so interesting to see Jerry Adams, um, you know, quite unfortunately remind people about the past with a really ill-judged comedy sketch uh, over the last couple of days where, you know, he's... There's, there's he's, a divide on that, Liam. No, Emma, Emma is 100% yeah. correct that the young people, the, the, the people who are, are who are much younger, for them, the distance between what 
uh, Sinn Féin was with the IRA is as far well, back as the distance between the 1970s well, no, hang on. I, and the First I, World I, War. I, I, it's I, I, it's I, a Martin, very big distance. Martin, I remind just before the last election and the wave started to turn, it was Emmett Kirwan who said on the pod, on this podcast that um, people understand that. They understand the history that you're referring to, Liam. They get it. They, they, they are aware of it. But they are more concerned. Is 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 my landlord going to hit me with a notice to quit That's right. and and tell yeah. me that that he's actually sending me? Um, oh, he's moving his nephew in, and he's not. You know, he just wants me out. Is it, and those issues, the very real issues there. Yes, absolutely. But I, again, actually, in one of the the polls, Harry, you might correct me if I'm wrong here. I believe part of the thing was that the Sinn Fein vote is fluid. They are just the chose currently the chosen conduit for change. It's change versus the establishment in many ways. And Sinn Féin right now are seen as the conduit for change. Whether that is true or not, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. But down the road, Harry, I think that's what one of the one of the Ireland thinks Paul said. Yeah, I, I think there is like people want change. Sinn Féin are really at the moment the only plausible uh, option to to bring that as as and as Liam mentioned, it is a it is going to be a big change. This will be this potentially be their first. Well, no, will realistically, it's going they're going to be in government one way or the other, unless something really weird happens um, between now and the election, which it could do. We've got a few years, but there's going to be a big change in how we do politics. And as Liam, I think correctly identified, it's things like housing, things like health, the basic things that are going wrong with people's lives that people want to change, and that's what they're addressing. And all the things we can talk about, you know, the past of Sinn Fein. The, uh, the situation with Sinn Féin in government in Northern Ireland. But that doesn't really penetrate through here because people are worried about a roof over their head. They're worried about not having access to services, to health, to transport, to any of these things. Economically, there are still areas of this country that are still massively underserviced and underdeprived. And they now Finna Fall and Finna Gael have been working together in government basically for a decade, haven't seen that change. And you look for who is going to bring you uh, an alternative. And yes, there are questions about um, Sinn Féin, whether how much of a change Sinn Féin will actually be. We've seen things like there's questions about sort of non-jury courts. There's been uh, things with the corporation tax where they've kind of modif- moderated their positions, but just, you know, it's electoral strategy, fair enough. Uh, even if you may, I, I don't agree principally with either of those things, but I understand why they're doing it. Um, you're you're like me, Harry. Thing. You're you're even further to the left than we pretend. Yeah, well, <laughs> but people, people want to see something different and they're willing to give a chance to say, look, whatever about the past, whatever about the North, whatever about this, I, I, I need a roof over my head. I need security. I need the basic things, and those things take a backseat. But when Sinn Féin are in government and are having to manage those things and maybe aren't doing as well as people might hope, potentially that could happen, we may see those questions become more pointed, particularly given, as Martin has mentioned, how Fine Gael have been positioning themselves. And in a way, yes, they are positioning themselves to be the opposition to Sinn Féin. Fine Gael's dream situation is probably a Sinn Féin Fine Fall government, which is very plausible. Um, and then we might see more of those things kind of become more relevant as the conversation around what they're doing shifts Um, but that's all speculation i think just to jump in there harry just because you mentioned northern ireland and i have to say it irks me to no end how often Sinn fein in the north is used as a a tool for political mudslinging uh, by the parties uh, across the border Uh, actually using that it's 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 it's, no but like i mean again Emma, you've been brilliantly contributing to us for, for, for ages now, it feels like. And every time, every week, we almost have to almost apologize and say some gobdaw in the doll has decided that. But but in the north, laddy, 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 as if um, you're yeah, just just waving the stick, Tony, just yeah. constantly. Waving. I'm just going to move us on a little. The public services card got a final hiding 
this week, but uh, like the Monty Python sketch, the government is standing there going, it's just a flesh wound. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> Liam, your thoughts. Yeah. Well, when I made the comment about, you know, it, it was an unfortunate for Jerry Adams that he felt the need to remind people about his past. Regina Doherty, who was the minister overseeing a lot of the debacle, the public service card, also unnecessarily reminded the public about her role on, on Friday. She put out, a, I mean, for people who haven't been following the story, the, the, the Data Protection Commission uh, issued two years ago a kind of devastating report which said that what the government was doing, the public service card, was illegal when it was requiring people outside of social protection to get the public service card to access passports, driver's licenses and everything else. And it was very clear cut. And at the time, Regina was the minister and uh, they, they appealed the report, the finding, and she said she had very strong legal advice that the Data Protection Commission was wrong. Fast, fast forward two years and they quietly dropped the appeal completely on Friday. And yet she issued a press release to say that she welcomed the outcome, you know, uh, and the, D the Department of Social Protection also issued a statement that this was a, a very welcome resolution of this complex issue. And they lost. They backed Liam, down completely. Liam, Liam, onwards to the to the victory of humiliating defeat was, was, was basically <laughs> what they've done here. Yeah, I mean, somebody likened it to kind of Napoleon after the Battle of Waterloo, saying that he was really uh, happy that, you know, conflict uh, on the continent of Europe had finally been resolved and we'd reached a, a solution. Like, yeah. you know, it is it's a scandal in terms of the waste of public money apart yeah. from anything can, else can i can i mention uh, yeah and even though even since the appeal they've spent another 20 million on the card since the appeal was was uh, they appealed the decision so the money that's gone has been phenomenal and, and, and tony there's every indication that the people in the department of social protection and the department of public expenditure that've driven this project because it's basically an it project that they've driven haven't learned anything and the press release that came out this week that said, we're delighted now that we can still promote the public service card and encourage people to take it up, you know? So it, it's it's de it's depressing from a, a public expenditure point of view that so much has been wasted. And going back to Harry's point at the start, like government not being willing to admit that it's made a mistake, you know? Um, which, like, people make mistakes. Governments have to change direction. But it's it's the battening down the hatches and just ratcheting up legal fees that's the real scandal here. And that's the truth. Now I've got to move us on again, Tony. Highlights of the past. No, 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 no. We got to throw it out to the people. I just want to thank um, again because uh, I, uh, Bear Grogan doesn't get enough shout outs every now that's and then. Right. But, but yesterday, phenomenal work on the on the Christmas baskets again. So I have to have to call it out. Um, and again, and it's going to this one's going to stick in my throat. Um, and unbelievable work by Bose, by the way. Did you see for all the the, the gifts they got for for children in, in direct provision? I don't like giving Bose credit, Liam. I I, I just. You know, I give out about the hipsters. What can I tell you? But, you know, they really did a phenomenal job. Um, and, and credit to Bear. Really, really think it's... Um Really think it's brilliant that 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 you continue to put that, that effort in, and everybody who volunteers, well done. Sorry, Martin. Now, yeah, I, I, I was going to ask Tony about his highlight of the year, but I'm going to come to Ollie, but I'm going to go to Tony first to give the rest of you a little chance to have a think about it. Tony, highlight of the last twelve months for you? Oh, um, I have thought about this, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna because I'm the host, I'm gonna I'm gonna give myself two two things I want to mention, and one is a. a Something that I want to just mention is that um, 
the it's not a highlight at all. I just but I want to mention it on this podcast because every Sunday morning I think um again maybe Don will be on with us and we lost Don Foster this year and she was a really good friend of mine. And every Sunday morning we'd be up and back in, on WhatsApp and she would have done this show. Um and I'm and I miss her terribly. So I wanted to mention that. Um and then my highlight would be actually the the <laughs> the coverage we managed to do on on Palestine and Gaza because I know it's not a nice not a pleasant thing that we did but Hannah opened those doors and and it actually made an impact across the globe it really did um, and she is I was talking to her yesterday she's doing some phenomenal work at the moment quietly we'll be back on that once once we're ready to go on that but but um, yeah that was I thought I thought working with Hannah was just it just changed a lot of stuff for how they felt that the stories were getting out from this tiny little platform. Yeah, it, that, it, was, it, that was. We, we, we were in the LA Times, Martin. Like, I you know, know, I know. It's unreal. Harry, to you, what's your highlight uh, of the year? <laughs> I wasn't actually expecting this. Um, taking it on a, on, on, a, on a similar level, Tony, from, from a campaign's point of view, political point of view, I think the Cobblestone campaign, um, a small thing, but being able to actually do something, something and be part of something that actually managed to strike back against what's happening to Dublin. A very small victory, a very partial one, but I think that's something that's hugely important and I think showed a lot of people that it can be done, showed a lot of people how to do it as well. I'm very proud of the submission we put into that. I'm very proud of lots of the work lots of individuals and groups did to get that going and even playing a small part of that. Um, seeing that victory um, is phenomenally important for Dublin's culture for the future development of Dublin. If we can continue to push on these things and get people together and unify okay. be, beyond just that one instance, it does give me hope that there's there's things we can do for this city um, to stop it becoming what certain people want it to become. That's a great. Well, that's a great point, Shamim. Highlight of the year. Well, I was told to that the answer to that question is. Meeting the fab, amazing and humble Tony Grove. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> um, but but no, in all I did. I did not send that. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, in all seriousness, I think um, first of all, just just doing some stories and people just getting on to me and saying that it actually made a difference um, and, and, and got their situation sorted. But for me, the most important thing is that I'm seeing more people have the courage to, to speak on the record, to speak with their own names and just not afraid of the Department of Justice. So for me, that's a huge victory. Good. Delighted to hear that. Emma. Well, I think I'm going to be sneaky and slip in too, actually, now that I think about it. Uh, personally, uh, wonderful to see um, people in Northern Ireland be able to benefit from the EU settlement scheme and the route that we opened up in terms of changing immigration law and being able to settle and return to Northern Ireland and see their families reunited. That really is just uh, you know, going to be something that will be a highlight for a long time. And then I suppose in terms of civic society and, and wider work, uh, the creation of the All Out at Women's Forum has to be my highlight of the year. It brings together 28 women, 14 from Northern Ireland, 14 from the South, from academic to activists to civic society, working on a cross-border basis to break down barriers, build understanding and to embed women's voices in peace building. And it is just a wonderful space to be operating in and an essential part of trying to, you know, build those spaces for more dialogue that I keep talking about. Liam. I'm going to be cheeky and mention two maybe as well. I mean, the, the, the first is we put out a report in, and we talked about it on the podcast um, on coroners 
uh, on, on Vicky's podcast um, on, on coroner reform. And it's it's just an, an issue that very few people know about in our society, but there's been thousands of families that have um, lost a loved one and that their their trauma has been compounded by uh, a system about inquests that's completely ill-suited for purpose. And um, we're only starting the road on that, but we were able to tell the stories in the Irish Council for Civil Liberties of some of those families uh, and what they went through. And I'm really hopeful that that might lead to, to some change in the future. The other one, um, and we talked about data protection, is what's happening about um, data protection and big technology. Um, I think that there's a revolution happening, and Ireland is part of that, you know, in terms of people all around the world feeling empowered about how their privacy and their data rights have been violated by Google, the ad tech industry, Facebook and, and the big tech players. And I think that um, there's there's a real wind of change on that at the moment. A lot of the heat at the moment is focused on how the Irish Data Protection Commission hasn't been doing its job about standing up for people's rights. And I'm, I'm really proud that ICCL and colleagues all around Europe are, are really pushing this at the moment. And I think that, that could be one of the most important democratic changes uh, in the next year or so is, is how big tech is reined in um, we know, and we know point. you guys have been working on it and, and we've, we've spoken to johnny and the work that's gone on in there and some of the things that's going on in terms of real-time bidding and, and and the data breaches that just happen every day in, in the gazillions but martin you have to say something positive now yeah well i have to say it's been a great year for whistleblowers and in that sense i mean we've a gang of us have been working together We've pooled our knowledge, we've pooled what we know, and it's nowhere near an equality of arms for whistleblowers, but we have now what they've always had, and that's a network of information to pass among ourselves. And it has made a huge difference, mass, and you won't see the fruition of that for for six months, maybe 12 years or 12 months or more, but it's a massive change for whistleblowers, and I'm very proud to be a big part of it. Absolutely, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be real real cheeky and give you a little bit of a little bit of praise here because every every bloody it's probably nearly twice a week at this stage I, I go in to book something into our uh, shared diary, and Martin has 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 stolen the Zoom and he's he's meeting with whistleblowers on Zoom, helping them with different cases. You do do all that stuff in the background, then it's a credit to you and and fair play to you, mate. It it, it really people. They don't see it, but people know it. Yeah, you know, it's making a difference and it's making a difference. And the people, let me tell you, the, the whistleblowers, they're just like you and me, except they have balls, lots of it. And they go for it and they say, screw it. I'm going to I'm going to stand up for what's right and take what comes. And they are very solid, solid citizens. And I think that I wish we had so many more of them. I really do. We'll leave it there um, for in terms of the, the thing. I want to thank um, Emma, uh, Harry, Shamim, Liam for, for the chat today and throughout the year. It's been phenomenal. It has. Um, I, I, I want to, if you are multitasking like Mary Lou, like doing this and then signing, remember that it is pronounced Happy Christmas, but when you write it, it's www.patreon.com There's no helping me. Yeah, we will take a couple of questions now. I see there is a hand up, so there's no problem there. Um, uh, here comes Frank. Hello, my Am I on? I don't you know. Are, you are, are indeed, Frank. How are you okay, doing? Okay, very quickly. Uh, acknowledgements uh, have to be 
uh, given to the, the the three rock stars uh, uh, this last week: Martin McMahon, Simon McGar, and Orla Hegarty. Uh, you you uh, hit the the headlines. You you delivered on all the important information that needs to to be delivered and still needs to be followed through on. And the common thread there throughout is the tortoise shack. And the tortoise shack has been absolutely fucking brilliant. Uh, you need, uh, we need as a society, we need uh, real information and facts to, to balance against uh, the bullshit that we're getting from mainstream media and from our government and our government departments. And that's very disappointing. So I'd say to anybody who has the extra few bob in the arse pocket or a bit of change, for God's sake, donate it. Go on to Patreon and, and, Bob, uh, and, Frank, and, and Frank, help out. Frank, I'm not paying you for this now. Yeah. I know. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. No, th- thanks for that, Frank. But uh, you're brilliant. Uh, Anna. The lads, the has lads, to be said. The lads, are the, the, look, we're just lucky with the people we get to speak to. Um, no, if there's any other questions, I mean, I I want to ask one question, Shamim. Um, just uh, in terms of why why didn't you come out to the diggers the other evening? I mean, I went with Carl. You know, where were you? <laughs> you actually meet up with Carl. Yes, I did. Listen, you it doesn't, doesn't take much to twist my rubber arm. <laughs> no, no, no. As soon as it's just say, but you see, it's to be seen in the diggers is more important than than anything else. You know, it's uh, just it's it's the cool place for for up and coming youngsters. Oh, um, and and Emma, have you uh, have you have you any good plans for Christmas? Yeah, I mean, I'm planning to actually not work. I I, pr- I promised myself. You know, maybe I'll do one more article before Christmas and that's it. I'm not writing about politics. I'm not speaking about politics. I'm switching off from social media. And I promised myself I'm actually going to just eat, drink and be merry. Uh, So hopefully I can follow that through. Harry, Hanukkah, what's the uh, like? I mean, you know, this is you, 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 you live, you live, you live the real life, man. Um, uh, You got the candles out. You're you're going to you're going through the process. Um, (laughs) I don't I don't understand it, but but I I respect it. Thank you. No, it's grand. Just uh, went went home, uh, visited the family for a night of it. All very nice. Very pleasant. No, no big deal. And similar to similar to Emma trying to do as little uh, politics as possible uh, in the month of December. Take a little break from it all. It's been a a a day. Uh, Harry, we're also a Hanukkah household, uh, so happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah to you too. I just think all you splitters taking breaks over Christmas. Over Christmas, I double down. I write stuff. I get ready to come back for the battle in January. (laughs) And you guys taking breaks. (laughs) (laughs) I had to wake him at (laughs) 11 to get on this podcast. And he wants you to think that he's working. (laughs) He's a gas man. Um, No, Look, uh, thanks so much, everybody. We, we, uh, as I said, Fingers crossed we won't be doing another one of these till January. But, we'll but see it has it been goes. a great year of these Sunday shows. And I love doing these Sunday shows. It's a great chance to have a nice conversation. And I think I think the new year we're going to have to look to do more of these, Tony. Unfortunately, we're going to have to look to do more of these. Yeah. And uh, oh, and uh, just I see Janet in the comments. Um, check out her, she co-hosted Reboot again this week uh, with uh, in a, a brilliant panel on on safety in schools. So do check it out if you're and if you use have your elbows, Janet. Just keep nudging Rory out there. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I can I can see it now. Like because you know Rory's going off to Hollywood anyway. To, he's, oh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This <laughs> Or fail the audition. <laughs> oh, no, Martin. <laughs> Thanks for listening, folks. Thanks a lot. Uh, cheers, guys. 